0: Yesterday, we showed from the scripture that Satan has a whole hierarchy of beings that work under him There's a formidable kingdom in the heavenly places. And it's in the the heavenly places that the true battle takes place. The, The results are played out in human history, but the causes largely happen in the heavenly places. God is the undisputed ruler of the universe and we need to see that the spiritual battle that is going on is not a war among equals that somehow Satan is is trying to dethrone God or somehow he is in, uh, in danger of taking over. We need to see that God is the undisputed ruler of the universe. God sits relaxed in heaven. God is not Sitting on the edge of his throne, being defensive, worrying that, oh no, things aren't going to work out alright, but we need to see that God is the sovereign God. And for his own purposes, he has permitted evil to, to have its course in the universe for a time. There's a book by E. Stanley Jones called, The Unchangeable Person and His Unshakeable Kingdom. And that's a, that's a great description of God's kingdom and we need to understand that God's kingdom is not in jeopardy Satan is the one who has the counterfeit kingdom Satan is the one who is reactionary he is the one who has the kingdom of darkness and God's light is the one that dispels that darkness he is insecure and he's the one who reacts when God does something in history see God is the one who is acting he's accomplishing his plans he is the one who is sovereign, even in spite of the rebellion and sin of the powers of darkness and of, of, the, of people on earth. And so we need to have that perspective, that God is not, you know, frantically going, oh no, we didn't expect this to happen, and he's kind of reacting up in heaven like, oh no, take care of this, do this, do that, do that. See, God is in control, even of, of the evil that is going on. God is sovereign, and and the beautiful thing that we're going to see at the end of history, at the Judgment Day, that God is going to even use the rebellion of men and the rebellion of Satan to glorify His name. And God is is ultimately going to use the rebellion and pressure that the powers of darkness put on believers. That's only going to refine us and make us more like Jesus, so that as it says in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 12, that those who are righteous are going to shine as stars forever and ever. I said, it's, We need to really see this whole thing. Is that it's, it's in God's hands and God is in control. Because it doesn't take you very long to look at, at what's going on in the world and look at history. And you think that, my goodness, the devil's going to win. But he's not. He's only been allowed to work his evil for, for a specific time in history and then when Jesus comes back that, that history is going to be over and then God's going to remove the good from the evil forever in, in the separation of heaven and hell and then God's going to have his eternal purposes that are going to be worked out so that sometimes it looks like the devil really has the upper hand that, that isn't the true perspective that we're to have and indeed he doesn't have the, the upper hand at all The battle is fought in the minds of people. That's the battleground. Our battle is for the thoughts and, and the minds of people on earth. And either we present ourselves as an instrument of God unto righteousness, or we give ourselves to selfishness, and in doing that we become a pawn of Satan to some degree. Today I want to continue our, our, looking at spiritual warfare by looking at the book of Job. So if you'd like to turn there with me we get some real insight into the spirit realm and into some things that, that, is, that are happening and that I believe happen to all of us as believers. And Job is, is a, is a supreme example. Job chapter one. And let's read. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil notice job was a righteous man job was a man who walked with god and he was upright in the eyes of the Lord he had seven sons and three daughters his possessions were seven thousand sheep three thousand camels five hundred yoke of oxen five hundred female donkeys and very many servants he was a rich man incredibly rich man and his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house in, in the house of each one on his day and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them and it came about when the days of feasting had been had completed their cycle that Job would send and consecrate them rising early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all for Job said perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts and thus Job did continually so we see where Job Fulfilled his priestly function as the father. And he offered prayers and he offered sacrifices in, in, in atonement for his family. And so this, this man is a godly man. When you read through the book of Job, sometimes there's a tendency almost to belittle him in, in the struggle that he went through. But this man had something under the hood. This guy was a tremendous man of God and, and deserves um, a place of recognition and honor in our hearts, because he is a man of God. He had his faults, and God uses this trial to get at some pride and self-righteousness that he had. But this guy was a tremendous spiritual leader uh, uh, in the day that he lived. So Job was living his life out. He had a comfortable income. He had a good lots of donkeys and and the. Of, of the goods of that day he was a rich man and so life was going on he, he did his best to serve God and to do what the Lord wanted him to do he was a man as, as you read through the rest of the book he was a man that was revered a man, men came to him for counsel he was an elder that sat in the gates and so he was carrying out his life in the best that he knew in order to serve and to honor God now we get a picture in this next verse of something that is happening in the unseen realm It says in verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, Notice, it's God who picks the fight here. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. Now notice, we see Satan's role. He's wandering around, he's watching things, and he's trying to cause trouble wherever he can. That's what the powers of darkness do. They watch over things, and any time they can cause trouble and give God, and give opposition to God, some kind... See, understand that that the devil cannot touch God himself, because God is beyond temptation. You know, you, you can't... You can't get to God because he's perfect and he's all-knowing and all-wise. So so Satan gets to God through people created in his image. And that's why we are the objects, human beings are the object of that attack. So the Lord said to Satan, and you can just hear the pride in God's heart as he says to Satan. He says, "Have you considered my servant Job?" And you can just hear how proud God is of his servant. There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. And you see, God is extremely proud of us when we, by an act of our own will, choose to worship and serve God. See, that's why worship is so meaningful to God. It's because we don't have to worship God. We can worship ourselves or anything else that we want to worship. And when we choose to worship the living God, by an act of our own will because we see that he's worthy when we give him awe and respect and acclaim simply because he's worthy of it that that has a great meaning to the heart of God it also makes Satan incredibly mad you want to make Satan infuriated worship and serve God it just it just really gets his goat so Satan responds to the Lord and says does Job fear God for nothing hast thou not made a hedge about him notice There's a hedge about believers. See, there's a protective shield. I don't know if, you know, again, I don't know if it's some kind of aura or whatever it is. But there is a shield about believers that Satan cannot penetrate only, I believe, for two reasons. One is if God permits it, and that's in the case of Job here. What happened to Job was not of his own doing. It It was a direct attack of Satan that God allowed. And it was to prove a point. We'll see that in a minute. The second thing that takes the hedge away is when you sin. When we deliberately sin, when we deliberately give ourselves to that which is, is against God's word, then we remove the hedge and the enemy is allowed to come in and to torment and hassle our lives. That's true for Christians and it's true for non-Christians. So Satan says, well, you protect him. You put a hedge about him. And you've given him, you've blessed him, you've given him a house and you've made him wealthy and you've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But pour forth thy hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse thee to thy face. So Satan says, oh, your little servant down there, he's he's a fair weather Christian. He just serves you because you've blessed him, you've given him all that he wants. You let me take that stuff away and then we'll see what your little servant does. And see, God... Wanting to prove a point, he wants to prove a point that that Job, he knows Job is going to serve him even through the trial. Because he sees that Job has that kind of spiritual muscle inside. And God knows the heart of Job. And so he allows the protective shield to be taken away. And the next thing we read, life is going along great for Job. He knows nothing of what has happened in the heavenly places. But it says, on one day when his, uh, when, when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking with their oldest, in their oldest brother's house, that a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians attacked and took them. See, notice how Satan can use natural vehicles in order to bring hurt and destruction. And somehow, he incited the Sabians to come in and attack the, the donkeys and, uh, and the oxen. And they also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came in and also said, The fire of God, now this guy attributed this thing to God, and said, The fire of God fell from heaven, and burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. I don't think that was God's doing, that was Satan's doing, but this guy came in and said, God's done this, you know. While he was still speaking, more bad news comes, and the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them, and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while while he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind from across the wilderness struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And in the course of five or ten minutes, Job's whole life fell apart. His servants whom he loved and his possessions, which were of some importance, the people were more important to him than that, but it was all gone in, in one afternoon. And what does Job do? It says, Then Job arose, he tore his robe and shaved his head, which is an act of grieving and humiliation, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He worshipped God. And here's what he said. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. And the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all of this, Job Job did not sin nor blame God. Now see, Job had no idea what was going on in the heavenly places. He didn't know that he was an object of a a controversy between God and Satan. And that God had picked a fight with Satan and had bet on Job that Job would not turn his back on God. Chapter 2, we go on to round 2 now. There was another day. When the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord says a second time to uh, Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there was no one like him in all the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without a cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, put forth thy hand now and touch his bone in his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. So the Lord said to Satan, behold, he he is in your power, only spare his life. So see, again, a protective hedge was removed. And Satan was allowed to afflict Job. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with boils from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. See, even the closest person to Job In her frustration and and agony and not understanding what had happened, she was used of the enemy to probably poke one of the deepest wounds at Job. And that's saying, you know, his own wife, why don't you just curse God and die? What have you done to deserve this? Because she didn't understand. And yet, even in that, he responds to her. He says, shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, I'm not not so sure that God is going to do this kind of thing to every one of us. But I do believe the principle of that Satan. See, when when we seek to stand for God, when we seek to be born again Christians, we seek to be soldiers of Jesus Christ, Satan begins to taunt God. and and he he, he begins to say let me at this guy, let me see what he's really made of and and there's, there's trials and things that come into our lives that we do not understand the full significance of just like David's preparation, he didn't understand why he went through all those those months in the desert being chased by Saul and he didn't understand why things came out the way they did Until the end of his life, when he saw that, that was God's preparation in his life. We need to understand that, that God is going to put you through series of dealings. He's going to put you through things that are going to refine you. And he will even allow the devil to attack your life in in some specific ways in order to build you up and to prepare you for what God has ahead. And it's always, it always results in glory being brought to God and profit to you as an individual. At the end of the book of Job, we find that Satan is humiliated and he's proven to be the liar that he really is. And even though Satan was able to afflict his possessions and family and then finally even to afflict his physical body with probably all kinds of incredible pain and agony and yet all through it Job never denied his faith and he never cursed God he didn't understand and he went through some some real dealings and you, you read that through the whole that's what the whole book of Job is about the, the response of Job to his friends and then the, the response of Job to God and God did a lot of refining in Job's life but he never turned his back on God and you see what that did is that proves Satan to be the liar that he really is. And all of heaven, both the, the hosts of darkness and the hosts of righteousness, watched this moral battle. And a man by his own free will, who would, do not, who would not deny the living God. And, in, and th- in that, see, God was exalted. Job received a new revelation of God. His fortunes were restored at the end of his life. He got double what he had before. So, I mean, God really blessed him the second time. And all through it, God was proud of His Son. See, God is so proud of us when we stand in the face of the pressure and the adversity of Satan and we still say, God is worthy of praise. Even if I lose my job, God's still worthy of praise and worship. Even if I get treated unfairly, God is still a God of love and justice. There's a lot of opportunities in life that we're going to be tested in, that that we can accuse God of being unrighteous, that things are going to happen to us that we don't understand. And at those times, are we still going to, in faith, declare the goodness of God? Because if we do, then we are humiliating the powers of darkness, and Satan is being is, is 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 being shown for the liar that he really is. That's what's behind a lot of the trials. That we go through, I believe. Now I want to use an analogy that's familiar to all of us, it's for spiritual warfare, and that's the analogy of football. In football, we have two units: we have the offensive unit and we have the defensive unit. Each unit has a particular goal and purpose. They function in different ways, and they 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 have a little different strategy in what they're out to accomplish. The offense. Their goal is to penetrate the enemy's lines and to press through to the goalposts to get the victory. That's that and to put points on the board. That's the whole goal of, of the offensive unit. We're going to talk about offensive praying when we, when we come back on Thursday. And so I'm, I'm not going to focus on that today, but that's that's one strategy. That's where Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's Matthew 16 18. In Matthew 12, 29, Jesus says that we are to bind the strong man in order to go in and plunder his goods. So we need to take care of the strong man. And I believe that's referring to spiritual powers, powers of darkness that are holding things in, in bondage. That we need to take care of the powers of darkness. That's Matthew 12, 29. And then 1 John 3, 8. Jesus said that he came for this purpose to destroy the works of the evil one. So we're, we're to be offensive in our, in our movement. See, we're not just to hold the fort till Jesus comes, but Jesus has anointed the church to go and to spoil Satan's kingdom. See, so we're anointed to go and, and to undo his traps, to undo his work in the earth. The second squad is the defensive squad. The defensive squad's charge is to prevent the enemy from making progress. And to prevent the enemy from scoring points and pressing into your territory. The defensive posture, and this is what I want to focus on today. This is where we protect ourselves against the attacks of Satan. See, the enemy, just, just by nature, his, he, does, he wants to put pressure... And he wants to try to influence us to move against the will of God, to move in the ways of selfishness and pride. There's always temptation. There's always, he's always there to try to push us in the direction of doing what is wrong. A couple of verses. In Ephesians 6.16, we read where Satan throws flaming missiles at us. And that's why we need the shield of faith, and we'll talk about that in a bit. We need the shield of faith in order to extinguish the flaming missiles of the evil one. You ever had a thought that burned and hurt and wounded you? See, that's that's what the enemy does. And just like what happened with Job, sometimes the people that are closest to us can hurt us the, the, the deepest. And that's because Satan is the one who energizes and poisons those comments. And causes them to rip into our heart and to hurt. And the cure for that is the shield of faith. We'll talk about that more in a minute. In 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. Paul tells us that we're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. See, our battle is for the minds of people. That's the battleground. We are in a battle for the thoughts and the minds of human beings. And we need to take every thought captive so that thoughts that are injected by Satan... And I believe that Satan has access to all of our minds. At different times, thoughts are put into our minds by the enemy and the powers of darkness. And that's why we have to be evaluating... And, 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 and measuring every thought and taking every thought captive to Christ so that the ones that are not true, the ones that are not righteous, the ones that are not according to God's will and his heart, we reject Say, Because if we don't, the enemy will, will throw thoughts in in order to sidetrack us. Now Satan will get away in your life, what you, Satan will get away with what you let him say. Satan will harass you and bother you as much as you allow it. It's just like the defense. They go up to the line of scrimmage and they say in their, in, in their own heads, they say, def, the, offense, the offensive team, they say, you're not going to cross this line. In fact, we're going to push you back. See, we're not going to let you across this line. And you have to take a stand in your own mind and you have to say, this is the line Satan and if you cross it I'm going to I'm going to go after you I'm going to aggressively stop your activity in my life so you have to take that kind of tenacious stand either you're going to spend your life pushing the powers of darkness around or the powers of darkness are going to spend their life pushing you around see it's it's we're in a battle and either we're going to win or lose You can't just withdraw from the battle and say, I'm going to go take a siesta and I don't want to be involved in this spiritual battle stuff. We are in a continual warfare. And either we're going to be successful in pushing the devil around, or he's going to be successful in pushing us around. There's no middle ground. Either it's push or be pushed. The key word is awareness. The key word in all of this is awareness. In 1 Peter 5.8, Peter tells us to be, be sober and be on the alert because your adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So He's roaring around, he's watchful and when he sees a point of vulnerability, when he sees a point of weakness, he's ready to pounce, he's ready to take advantage of that hoping to cripple and to wound us. And to put us out of commission in the in, in the spiritual battle that we're in. First Peter 4, 7 says that we're to be of sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. See, we're to be sober-minded. We're not to be laxadaisical. We're not to be passive and kind of, well, okay, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. I'm just human and I make mistakes. We're not to be that way but we're to be people who evaluate, people who are alert and are thinking and are are measuring their lives by the Word of God and it takes an, an active effort like that in order to stay on top of the battle that we're in. Billy Graham had this to say, he says all of us in Christian work are constantly aware of the fact that we have to do battle with supernatural forces and powers. The devil follows me every day. He tempts me. He is a very real presence with me. He also declared, there is also, there is a connection between the devil and the increase of drugs, pornography, sexual license, and the occult in the US. We see people who are committing all kinds of violence, mass murders, and we have learned that they have been involved with the occult. The very word witchcraft stems from the same Greek word, as the word drugs. So Billy Graham acknowledges that the pressure that the enemy puts on his life, and it's something that he has to deal with every day. Evan Roberts, the great Welch revivalist, said, The devil's great purpose for which he fights is to keep the world in ignorance of himself, his ways, his colleagues, and the church is taking sides with him when siding with ignorance about him. So that's why we can't we have to be aware of what the enemy is up to. And of course, that's why we're trying to, what we're trying to do in this class. Before we talk about our defensive posture and, and the armor of God, let me, let me mention two truths that we need to keep in balance. The first truth is that Jesus defeated Satan on Calvary. Jesus won the total victory over the powers of darkness on Calvary. Let me just give you a few scriptures that affirm this. Colossians 2.15. Colossians 2.15. That says that Jesus disarmed the principalities and powers. When he disarmed them, that, man, that means he took the gunpowder out of their bullets. See? He took the, the, t- the poison off their arrows. He disarmed them. Hebrews 2.14 and 15 says that he rendered powerless the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. See, the fear of death for us as Christians is taken away. Because we know what happens when we die. So therefore, it's no big deal that some of us are going to die in the battle. You know? Now, none of us, you know, we don't get masochistic and, you know, get a martyr's complex. But if it comes down to some of us dying, what, what happens when we die? We go to be with Jesus. See, death is no defeat at all. Death is victorious. And it's, it's been interesting in church history where there have been martyrs and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, the people giving their lives for the gospel. Those have been some of the greatest times of increase of the church. There's many missiologists today that say that one of the ways the Muslim world is going to be opened is, is perhaps through martyrdom. That there may be some martyrs before the doors of Islam are opened. See? But... Now, see, if we understand the victory of Christ, death is, it is no defeat. See, we can, go, we can face death boldly because we know that the simply are going home to be with Jesus. Now, none of us anticipates losing our friends or our family. You know, that would be no pleasant experience. But we don't ultimately have to fear death. See, we can be reckless in the will of God. We can go behind closed doors. Like Brother Andrew says, there are no closed doors or closed countries. You know, you can get into any country, you just might not get out, you know. So see, there's no fear in that, because even if we don't get out, we are going to go home to be with the Lord. See, and that that takes away... See, the devil holds the world in bondage because of the fear of death. The fear of death, even as sophisticated as we are in America in the 20th century, the fear of death has sway over people. You talk to people that, are, you know, that get sudden attacks of cancer and get in the hospital. They're terrified of death. When, when they finally come up to that point of death, it's a terrifying thing. And we as believers are freed from that. Because Jesus has won the victory. In Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23, talks about Jesus having his name is above every name. And that he is above all principalities and authorities. And John nineteen thirty, Jesus said... On the cross, it is finished. And so see, there's nothing that we can do to add to the victory of Christ. He has already won it, and and the the powers of darkness are totally defeated. Okay, now we need to hold that's a biblical truth. We also need to realize, number two, that in Jesus' name, we must enforce the the victory of Christ over Satan in our generation. See, we must enforce the victory of Christ over Satan in our generation. Ephesians 6:12. Paul says, "We wrestle not against fresh flesh and blood, but we, we wrestle against principalities and powers," the verse we talked about yesterday. See, there's an enforcement of Christ's victory over the powers of darkness today. James four: six and seven. Scripture says that we are to submit ourselves unto God and resist the devil, and he will flee. So we, we wage warfare, not that the out, there's any question about the outcome. We know the outcome, and the book of Revelation declares Christ is the ultimate victor. So there's no question about who's going to win the battle, who's going to win the ultimate war. But we need to give our lives, and we need to, to enforce the victory of Christ over Satan now in in the in the time of history that we live in, say we, that's 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 the role that's given to the church, that we as we together as the people of God we can push the powers of darkness out of situations, and bring the kingdom of God to bear in the lives of people. That's that's the that's the inheritance that God has given to the church. When you think about the story, when when we recount what Jesus did on Calvary the whole plot to kill Jesus he was a satanic plot and Satan used Judas he used the chief priests and the scribes and the Roman government and, 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 and his plan was to kill the Son of God and then he would be the ultimate victor See, he, because Satan has no wisdom he had no idea that that was going to be his undoing the, the, the resurrection of Christ so he sought to kill him and he manipulated he incited And and on that that black day in Jerusalem, Jesus died. And and probably in the the caverns and the headquarters of hell, there was a great day of celebration as, as all the powers of darkness celebrated the fact that they had killed the Son of God and it was over. Satan had won the ultimate victory over God in the universe. And they celebrated for two days. But the third day, something happened in hell the body of Jesus was there and life began to come back into it and Jesus came alive and all the demons couldn't stand the light and they were shrinking back and saying what is this what is this and Jesus walked up to the devil and he took the keys of death away from him and he unlocked the prison that was the, the scripture says is Abraham's bosom where all the righteous Old Testament saints were he let them out and he says come on boys we're going to heaven and he took them to paradise and he shook his finger at Satan and he says, I'll deal with you later. He took the keys, but he didn't totally silence the devil yet. He's going to do that at the end of the age. And, he, and, and, he's, and what he's done, see, he's given the keys to the church. So that now us, a bunch of nobodies, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, have authority over the majestic, and, and, and awesome powers of darkness and see it's ultimately humiliating for satan and his kingdom for us little nobodies to pray to God and, and, and to have his kingdom crushed by a bunch of nobodies and see that's what God is doing through the church because who are we? we have no strength in ourselves we have no wisdom in ourselves we are no match for the powers of darkness but in Christ we can defeat him together and that's C.C., that's Satan's humiliation. This, cr- this insignificant, crazy, weak instrument called the church is going to rise up and has been rising up through history and has been defeating the powers of darkness. Imagine how humili- humiliating it is for Satan when we pray and he is forced to do things. Who are these little nobodies telling me what to do? And God's forces come down, and He is forced to bow the knee and to submit to what the, the, the will of God is, and that happens through the vehicle of the church. So, see, God is ultimately humiliating Satan through the through the workings of the church. And see, He's panicking. This, it, oh, if you could imagine the panic of Satan as 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 He wants to keep us from praying. Someone brought a quote up that, uh, that that's a great quote. Because Satan wants us to not pray, because every time we pray, the prayers of the weakest saint make Satan tremble. Because it's it's undoing his kingdom. It's like pulling the air the air out of his tires. You know, I mean, just we we, we just can undo his his great plans for victory, his his plans for arrogance and and domination of planet Earth. We undo him by our prayers, and so he will do everything he can to keep us from praying. That's boy that's that's where the ultimate spiritual battle is is in the area of prayer. And if we will discipline ourselves as good soldiers of Jesus Christ, if we'll learn to work in the realm of the unseen, so that's why that's why spiritual warfare is a difficult thing because it's not in the seen realm like we talked about yesterday. It's waged in the unseen realm. But as we're faithful to do that, faithful to persevere in prayer, and to pray for the things, the goals and the dreams that God has given to us that becomes the undoing of of Satan's kingdom and the toppling of the powers of darkness and for Satan's ultimate humiliation if we're going to do that though we need to be aware that every time we take a stand the enemy is going to react and he is going to He is going to take shots at us as well. So we need to be prepared defensively. I want to look at Ephesians 6 here in closing today. And I want to look at the armor of God. And how do we we put on the armor of God? And how does this work practically in our lives? Let's read here from Ephesians 6.10 through 6.18. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on, now that's a commandment, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's the kingdom we looked at yesterday. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all of the flaming missiles of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition. See, this is how we use the armor. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And see, that's, there's where we use the armor. That's where we, we execute the warfare is, is in prayer let me look at the the parts of the armor of God and, 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 and I want to share how I see that these work the first is the we're to gird our loins with truth we need to gird our loins with truth I like to entitle this we have tender loins See, we have tender loins and they need to be protected and we need to protect ourselves with truth I think our loins refer to our affections and our emotions. See, Our, our loins refer to our affections and our emotions. In 1 Peter 5.8, we, we looked at this scripture. It says that the, the devil prowls about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. One of the attacks of Satan that I've, that I've noticed in my own life and in the lives of others is is the emotional roarings of the enemy. And and th- they say that lions when they're when they're young they're they're stealthy enough they can just stalk their prey and kill it. But when the lion gets old, they lose that speed and agility, and so they come up to their prey and they go roar! And that and that and that that roar paralyzes the animal just for long just long enough so the lion can pounce on on it and kill it see that, that element of fear and and terror as the lion goes Rawr, you know so satan does the same kind of thing he he roars at our emotions and he roars at areas in our lives that where we've been hurt and wounded and it and it can tend to paralyze us or or to almost render us ineffective um, one of you came up last, uh, after the class yesterday and, and shared uh, of some struggles that, 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 that they had had with things like suicide and hopelessness and despair. And, and his brother was describing the, the, uh, this literal attack that he, in his emotions. And it would take, it would take prayer and, and it would sometimes take a course of, of several hours for this thing to finally leave him. See, that's an example of the roaring of the enemy in in my own life I, I've had a a struggle with rejection and the Lord has really been healing me of that but when I first became a Christian which was right during college when I was at Montana State University I had a terrible problem with rejection and I think it had to do with some things in my family but I just basically viewed people and I presumed that they were going to reject me and. And, and I just live my life feeling like I just really didn't have any close friends. And that if push came to shove, people would not want to be my friend. Now, I was deluded, but see, that was the reference in my mind. And I believe that that's the kind of thing the enemy sows in our lives, you see. We start believing a lie. And he can start putting thoughts in my mind about, about rejection. See, someone looks at me wrong, and I think, they don't like me. And see, and I can get into my own little delusion that the enemy... See, he's, he's there to add his two bits anytime time he can, as long as it'll further his purposes and to further that rejection in my life. And, and as I came to the Lord, I, re- I felt a real cleansing from that. And I began to feel the love of the brothers and sisters that I was involved with. And, and so a real healing began to take place in my life. But, but there still were times when I had to deal with rejection... And and I, I I had to just sit down and, and counsel myself. And there's times when I would feel emotionally rejected, really deeply. And I just would have to sit down and say, "Now listen, Dick, you don't know that they're rejecting you. And even if they are, God still loves you." And I I needed to talk and to pray it out, and 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 not to to cower back in fear. See, not not to be, uh, not to be one that would would. Uh, you know, just be slow to make relationships and initiate new relationships because I was afraid of being rejected, and that's see, that's the level of warfare that I'm talking about. Sometimes fear, see, the enemy can exploit fears in our lives. Now, again, I'm I'm not insinuating that you're demon possessed. You're not, but see, the enemy exploits these weak areas in our lives, and see, he he he's um, uh, Paul says in first. Corinthians, 1st or 2nd Corinthians, Satan buffets. And that means to pound with the fist. And see, if you've been bruised in an area, Satan is going to hit you. That's, he just keeps hitting and hitting and hitting. And if you're hurt there, see, he just keeps smacking at that thing because he knows it hurts and it wounds you. And, and he'll exploit your bruises. Satan has no scruples. He'll hit below the belt if he can. He cheats when the ref isn't looking. The devil is unscrupulous. You can't trust him because he'll never live by truth. That's why you can't make a truce with him. The only way you can deal with him is to totally defeat him and put him in his place. You cannot have a relationship with the devil and the powers of darkness because they're totally untrustworthy. I know some people like that, but the devil is the ultimate of that. And that's why, see, you can't make any truces or compromises. You've got to go after the devil and defeat him all the way. That's why being a Christian can't be a... 70 or 60 or 50% thing. You've got to go 100%. Because if you leave any room, the devil will exploit it. And he's not going to probably take away your salvation. Don't, I don't want you to misunderstand me. But what's at issue is your effectiveness as a soldier. Remember the guys that Dave Gable talked about? There's two brothers that are today ineffective in the work of God. They're separated from the church. They're not in fellowship. You know, probably... I, I just don't know, because I, I haven't talked to them in years. Maybe they're in relationship with Jesus. And, and they, I, I hope that they are. But see, they're not being lions for God anymore. They're not challenging the powers of darkness. They're whimpering in the corner. You know, they're afraid to look out of their, out of their den. See, because the devil has brutalized them. And, and they just got into a, something they weren't ready for. That's why leadership. You need to take leadership a step at a time. Don't get into a position of leadership that you're not ready for. That's why the Bible says an elder ought not to be a new Christian. Why? It's because they get in there and they get proud. And when you get proud, that's an open door for Satan to lambast you. And he'll work you over. You know, it's like thugs for the mafia. You get in wrong with the mafia, and you know, you're going to get some... You, you, you get physically abused by those boys. And that's the way the powers of darkness are. You start getting into a realm you're not ready for. You, you'll get brutalized and all these attacks and stuff. And All of us know of war stories of Christians that have really gone through it. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes it's because you get into a realm before you're ready to, to really walk there. David killed the bear and he killed the lion before he took Goliath, didn't he? See, he knew he was faithful in the little things he won the little victories so that when he went to Goliath he knew he could do it he says I, I fought the bear off and, man if a guy can fight a bear off I think he'd probably handle the giant you know man bears are pretty ferocious lions you know see he had tested his armor out David knew his spiritual capabilities and when the Lord started speaking to him about going and getting Goliath he said okay Lord he says I know that through you I can do it he was confident but he did, it wasn't his first time out and that's with when we, when, as we're entering into a life of spiritual warfare, we enter it a step at a time. See, we enter it a step at a time. First of all, we need to learn to defend our own life and, and prevent the, the attacks of the enemy on our own life. And then we can begin defending other people. We can begin interceding, you know, and, and, and being a warrior and attacking the gates of darkness for... For other people that are in bondage, but so you've got to protect yourself first. And so it's a very, very important principle. Another area is, is uh, Romans 8:1 is an area of condemnation, feeling condemned. I think so. So many of us as believers feel we're not good enough. Um, my wife struggles with, with feeling she doesn't read the Scripture enough, and she feels guilty because I don't read it enough. Now, how much is enough? No one can answer that, you know. It's because we have to we, we read and study the scripture out of our love for God but see we can the enemy can make us feel condemned or condemned over something we've done in the past even though it's been confessed and forgiven we still feel condemned that I did some I did this two years ago or I did that last month and see it, it, it takes away our boldness it takes away our courage and 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 we allow the devil to bring up things from the past and say how can God ever use me after what I've done? You know? And, see, and, that, and that, that prevents us from standing up and being bold in the Lord. Condemnation always attacks your self-worth. You can always tell the difference between condemnation and conviction by this. Conviction is always specific. See, conviction, God says, quit being critical. Stop judging. Stop being involved sexually. Stop doing this. See, it's always, you, can, you know what to do. It's not a vague and elusive thing like condemnation. Condemnation says, you're not good enough. You're not doing enough for God. God is not very happy with you. See, what do you do with that? See, what's enough? If God's not very happy with me, why is he not? And that's, see, the devil's game is condemnation. And, and you need to learn to combat that. You need to learn to combat that in the name of the Lord. That you are made perfect by what Jesus has done. You've ma- you're made acceptable by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're a new creature. You can do all things that God calls you to through Christ who th- strengthens you. If God be for you, who can be against you? See, these are the kinds of truths that I need to build up in my mind. In fact, that's the counterattack. This is how I counterattack the, the devil. And, and that is that I focus my mind on truth. See, I need to build bastions of truth in my mind. John 8:32, Jesus said, "You shall know the truth and the truth will make you free." And that's the truth about who God is and the truth about who we are. The, that's, that includes the bad part of us, where we need to change and, and, and repent, but it also includes the good part. That's what Jesus is making us to be. In Psalms 51 and verse 6. David says that God desires truth in the inward parts. See God wants truth to be inside of us. He doesn't want us to believe the lies of the devil. He wants us to believe the truth about who we are in Jesus Christ. And as we, as we build truth into our lives. As, we, as I consciously build my self-image on the basis of the Word of God, then I'm able to wake up in the morning and say, this is the day that the Lord hath made. Old things have passed away, and today all things are becoming new. I am forgiven for what I didn't do yesterday, and I have a clean slate with Jesus today. See, I I need to actively fight against that. Because, see, the devil, he'll, he'll, he'll keep you down as much as you let him. And if I let the old lies that, well, I'm just a second-rate Christian. I can never overcome this sin in my life. I'm just a nobody for God. If we go on believing those lies, then we're not going to be effective in the spiritual battle. God wants you to be effective. We need to walk in the light. That's another corollary to this. First John 1 John 1.7 says that we're to walk in the light. And this is, this, is, this, is the ele- this is where I believe the element of the armor of God, of girding our loins with truth is really worked out. In order to gird our loins with truth, I have to walk in the light with God. And that means that when God convicts me by the Holy Spirit, I need to respond to that. All of us probably know what it's like to be convicted about something and just conveniently kind of turn our back to that because we don't want to hear it. And we just kind of... I don't hear that I didn't hear anything did you and we just kind of play a little game like it's okay God's, God doesn't worry about it you know he speaks to you about an attitude or about an activity a relationship in your life and you know that the Lord wants you to change something but you just kind of go nah I, I don't want to do that and so you just kind of pretend that you didn't hear my little boy does that he's almost four now and sometimes I'll say David and he'll just kind of you know <laughs> pretends he doesn't hear and I know that he really hears so there's a Appropriate discipline and action needs to be taken so that he listens to what I say, and sometimes it's convenient for him not to listen because he doesn't want to. He knows that I'm going to tell him to pick up his toys, and he doesn't want to do that. So he just kind (laughs) of pretends he doesn't hear me. That's a dangerous thing to do because if there is unconfessed darkness in your life, that the enemy is going to be—he'll be able to make you ineffective. See, in order to be an effective spiritual warrior and to, to have your gurns, <laughs> loins girded with truth, you need to walk in the light. And that means to be real, to be honest, and to be sincere. Just to be real and honest and sincere before God and before people. That's the cost of, of, of having your gir- loins girded with truth. See, I used to think that the armor of God was... You know, it's just kind of like getting dressed in the morning. You know, if I just slipped on the the, the girdle of truth, then that was all right. But see, I I put on the girdle of truth by the way that I live my life. See, if I live my life in truth, and if I respond to God's conviction, if I'm striving to be open and real in my relationships with my wife, and my friends, and the elders, and the brothers and sisters, and my employer, see, then I am putting on the girdle of truth. It's not just a figurative thing that we do, but we live it out by walking in the light. And I I just want you to get a hold of that because you'll be effective in your Christian life if you walk in the light. See, David made mistakes. He made some bad ones. But he's a man that walked in the light. and, And when God would confront him with his sin, he repented and got it right. And that's why he's called a man after God's own heart. And we'll all make mistakes, see? None of us are above making mistakes. Some of us are probably going to blow it big sometimes in our lives. But if we go back to the light, that's what will make us a man or a woman after God's own heart. And that will keep us effective in the spiritual battle. The second part of the armor is the breastplate of righteousness. And I like to call this our bulletproof vest. We have a bulletproof vest. The breastplate of righteousness covers our heart. And our heart is the the deepest part of us. Proverbs 4.23 tells us that we're to watch over our heart with all diligence. For from it flow the issues of life. This has to do with our motives. We put on the, the breastplate of righteousness by cultivating pure motives before God in Acts chapter 19 verses 13 through 16 there were there were these two guys going around and they were they were casting demons out of people and they were doing it in this way they were saying I adjure you to come out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches see they were just using the name of Jesus these guys didn't even know the Lord but they were such power in the name of Jesus that they were just saying come out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches And they were having a degree of success. Well, one day, the devil got wise to this whole thing. And the demon that was in this man said, I know about Jesus, and I know about Paul. Isn't that interesting that the demons knew who Paul was? The demons knew who Paul was because he was damaging their kingdom. I wonder, do the demons know your name? Yes. think the demons know who you are? If you're moving in faithfulness and purity in God, it's not long before the demons are going to know who you are. See, they're going to say, watch out for this guy. He's a prayer warrior. Watch out for this guy. He has a pure heart. He's, he's dangerous to us. And that's see, that's probably the greatest credit that Satan could pay to us, is that we're on his hit list. Say Because we're doing his, his kingdom damage. So he said, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? And... The demon leaped on these two guys and they ran out of the house wounded and naked. And say, finally, and the the reason was that these men did not have the spiritual authority and relationship. They were not doing what they were doing with the right motives. And finally, the enemy uncovered that and he confronted it. See in order to to deal with Satan, you've got to do it with with true motives. The name of Jesus is not like abracadabra, you know, and and something's going to happen. The name of Jesus isn't just a rubber stamp you put on something that Jesus has to do. But we use the name of Jesus because we're in relationship with Him. We use His name because He has put His Spirit in us. And He has called us sons of the living God. And so I need to live my life out with purity of motives. And that protects me. See, that protects my heart when I walk in in purity before God. So we need to do what Matthew 5.8 says. And that means, it, and that's one of the Beatitudes, and it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So live a life in in obedience to revealed life. Allow the Lord to check your motives from, from day to day. And make sure that your motives are right in whatever you do. And if they're not right, ask Jesus to help you get them straightened out so that you're living your life in purity. Because a believer that lives his life in purity is a powerful person and if you're living in purity see the devil doesn't have any place in you if you have unrighteous motives then the devil can can get in there but if you're walking in purity the devil can't touch you because he's he's impure he doesn't know what purity is and there's nothing that he can get at in you there's an interesting verse in John 14 30 Jesus said this about Satan he says the ruler of the world is coming but he has nothing in me see jesus said that the ruler of this world is coming but he has nothing in me he can't touch me because i'm pure in my motives to the father and see i think that god can bring us to that place of being able to say the same thing that to my to to where i'm at with the lord today i'm in purity i'm walking in purity and there's nothing that satan can touch in me see satan can can, can t- only touch the things of revealed disobedience. See, when you start playing games with God, being double-minded, not obeying the truth, being one kind of person in fellowship, and being another kind of person when you're away from Christians, that's a dangerous game to play. And boy, the devil will get you in a good trap. And he'll trap you and make you ineffective and hurt you through that. And see, to put on the bulletproof vest means we can't play games with God. We've got to walk in purity with Him. We've got to get our lives cleaned up. We've got to clean our sexual lives up. We've got to clean our thought life up. We've got to clean up how we use our money. We've got to clean up how we deal with grades. We've got to clean up our act as far as our employer and our, in the workplace. So that's what that involves. That's how we put on the bulletproof vest, the breastplate of righteousness. We allow Jesus to clean up our lives. Let's stop there and then we'll continue with the armor of God next time we meet. Lord bless you.